in the world is the dark side. Your subconscious mind is the dark side. The dark side is only not has nothing to do with good or evil. This came when you learned your re, when your religious thing came into play. We already talked about so-called good or evil is only relative to the person. What's good to me may be evil to you. What's evil right. to you, you know, the pool may be the most relaxing place or the beach is the most relaxing place you can go to. But if I can't swim, this is terror for me. I need to stay away from the pool. So it's relative to the person. What's good to you may be evil to me. So this is not a cosmic truth. Dark versus light, good versus evil. That's all religious folly. The dark side just means what's unknown. The light side is what means known. And it's still uh, multi-layered in this concept. It's still just polarity. You get what I'm saying? In alchemy, right. in alchemy, gray becomes the alchemical transformation because it's the mix of the dark and the light. Or the silver, the silver of mercury, the mercury, Tahuti is mercury, which represents alchemy, which me- represents the mixing of dark and the light. So there's multi-layered ways to look at these things, and that's why you have to study it all and not become restricted to one form of study. You become restricted to one form of study. You have one perspective, and you only find yourself searching for things that you know or things to confirm what it is you know. You have to approach this like you don't know and everything you want to know. Now, one of, the, one of the guys I learned that from is Bobby Hennig. As much as we can say he's been doing this as a master for years, I still get to say it's like he, he, the way he approaches the knowledge, like he's trying to find out something new every day. If nothing else, this is a mentality that he's given me that has paid off deliciously. You have to act like you do not know, no matter what it is you think you know when you're approaching this. Don't even see yourself as the master. Be able to sit in the shoes of the master and the student. Always be hungry. Always be hungry and, 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 and always have a thirst to know something that you didn't know. And it should hurt. Learning hurts. Learning hurts. If you feel that's what they do in church. The preacher tells you what you know, and you go, all right, that's right. Tell it. Tell the truth. Because he's not teaching you. He's saying what you like to hear. So you want to be in a place where like, I, I don't know. You should have three and four books on the subject to cross-reference and Google because it should hurt. Because you are actually killing part of yourself when you do this. are the hands 
What is good, everybody? Welcome to the Omnius Podcast. This is episode 48. All right. We thank everybody for tuning in and listening, taking the time out of your beautiful day on this beautiful morning, evening, or afternoon as we get into the depths of good and evil. So as you see in the title, this is kind of a part two of what we was talking about in the last episode a little bit, but I don't want to deal so much more on uh, dealing with the sacred whore, but I do want to emphasize and give a little review for uh, newcomers who may not be well informed on what we call occult knowledge, right? Um, and I want people to understand that when I come from these particular perspectives, it's, it's not to give an invitation for complete chaos, it's not to give you a pass or a license to go out there and be reckless. I'm not telling you to be a city boy or a city girl. I'm not telling you to go out there and be the next, uh, I don't know, the next peace star or whatever the case is, right? <laughs> but you live according to your purpose and however you see fit, however you can play around that. But overall, I want us to understand this perception of good and evil. I want us to understand the perception of the light side, the dark side. And I also want us to understand the control that we have when it, when it concerns our own life, how we act, how we behave, us as individuals and us tapping into our higher self to such a point where the things around us, the things that other people say is good or bad or that you can do or can't do is defined by your reality, defined by your higher self, defined by whatever benefits you. And a lot of us have been programmed by the church to think that a certain way that you go about life is good and a certain way that you go about life is bad. So, for an example, if you are a very sexual person, the church tells you to wait until marriage. Now, you look throughout nature, 
nature doesn't wait till marriage. They get it on when they when they meet eyes. <laughs> Matter of fact, when uh, the male species does their mating call, their mating dance, that's how they that's how they get it on. You know, they don't wait till okay, let's set up the ceremony. Okay, let's be wedded. Let's go to the courthouse. All this type of stuff, right? They do it right then and there. So, like I said before, this is not an invitation for you to be reckless, okay? And when I, when I talk about this occult knowledge, this isn't for you to just listen and just take in everything that I have to say. Question and discern the things that I have to say as well, because this may be uh, new information for you that you have never heard in the past 15, 20, or 30 years of your life. So, I highly encourage you to do the, the research I have book recommendations if you would like those as well. I'm going to be reading something from um, the book called Pax with the Devil. Um, it's called Pax with the Devil. And it's a, it's a number of authors that kind of took part in making this book. But the, the book is called Pax with the Devil. And what I want to read from this particular book is the perception of how they define good and evil. And this is going to play a big hand in this whole conversation that we're going to have when it concerns good and evil and when it concerns how we can process that type of information. Because I was having a conversation with somebody in one of my comment sections on YouTube and they asked me, is good and evil an illusion? Because I was talking about invoking gods and calling upon the gods that dwell within you. And they was like, how can you call upon Satan? And then also say in another video that that God is evil. And see, <laughs> when it comes to people who maybe not may not be well in depth in this type of information, you know, I, I try and break it down to them. So I told them, I was like, well, good and evil is an illusion. However you perceive good and evil might be different for another person so when you're calling upon god or satan or prometheus or zeus or ogun or shun or osiris or set or anubis these particular deities dwell within you and they tap into a certain power that you need to survive to be who you are but see he he still couldn't conceive that right because he was like, well, we know by by nature, by instinct, what is good and what is evil. Yes, everybody has an individual moral compass to some extent to where we know that, okay, maybe I shouldn't do this because of the effects that may occur. But then again, like I said, this all is based upon perception. It's subjective. So what you define as good and evil, even if it's instinct, might be different for another person because they might have a different instinct or their subconscious might be set up a different type of way. So when it concerns good and evil, good and evil is defined by, in some cases, society. Um, but in most cases, man determines what is good and what is evil. Now, you could say there is objective good and objective evil whatever the case may be, and that's a whole conversation, a whole argument that can last for hours. But what I will tell you is that what we define as objective evil is just the same as 
being too much into the light. If you go too far into the light, you're going to be blinded by the light. If you go too far into the darkness, you do not know where you're going. You have to find the balance between light and darkness and find the middle way, the middle passage. So when it concerns being too much into the light, you feel restricted. You feel hell bound. You don't feel like that you can live your life to the best of your ability. You won't enjoy life. You know, you, you ain't taking risks. You ain't doing what is necessary to live your best life. And if you move too far into darkness, you're going to be corrupted. You're going to be consumed. You know, everything's going to be out of control. So as much as I advocate for the left-hand path, as much as I advocate on my platform about Baphomet and Satanism and Luciferianism and all this other type of stuff, the left-hand path is where you find the mysteries. The left-hand path is where you find the hidden uh, wisdom. The, the left-hand path is how you are going to come to terms of knowing who you are, coming to terms of your your demons, your, your past self. This is where you do your shadow work. This is where you see a mythology of the hero who enters into the cave to fight the dragon or enters into the belly of the beast and whatever the case is and comes out on top. They face their past. They face their, their beast, their demons. And in most cases, you're not supposed to slay the dragon. You're supposed to compromise with the dragon and have the dragon work for you. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to slay the beast. You're supposed to compromise with the beast and have the beast work to your advantage. And I always like to use the, the example um, recently, like in Bubble Fit, you see Bubble Fit riding on top of, I think they call them rancers. And these are these these big beasts, these humongous beasts that are uh, ancient to Tatooine. So you, you see stuff like this play out where um, a, a warrior is riding on a dragon, whatever the case is. Or you see Jesus riding on top of a donkey going into Jerusalem. This is them having control and power over their lower self, having control and power over their beast form their their animalistic self so a lot of things a lot of times the the animalistic self is demonized and instead of finding the divinity in the lower self and and understanding the the role that it plays because we think that is the lower self we think that is inferior because it's the lower self we think that it has no substance or it has no value so if you suppress and and completely cast off your lower self there are go there's going to come a point where you're going to snap. You're going to blow up. You, you might get out of pocket when that darkness comes again. So it's better for you to compromise with that dark, that, that your dark side or your lower self or that shadow self. You know, as, as I heard in uh, Black is King from Beyonce's project, um, I, I don't know if it was Jay-Z that said it, but it had to, it had to do with, with good and evil. And I'm a paraphrase. I can't really say it off the back of my head, but I used to know it. But it was like, when you're dealing with good and evil, it's not always a war. It's a conversation. You know, when, when it concerns you, uh, as it talks about in the Bible, taking off the old man or crucifying the flesh, it is, of course, these are, these are metaphors and these are, this is a figure of speech when it concerns how you're supposed to deal with yourself or deal with your carnal self or your lower self. But at the end of it, when you get to the true substance of the lesson, 
you're not supposed to suppress and completely cast away your lower self. You're supposed to give it direction. As you see also in the Bible, Jesus tells Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. And so this is kind of a correlation of what you see in comedic mythology when you see Set Haru. Set Haru, um, it also a representation of the medulla oblongata that is in the back of the, the head. And so that's where your melanin, uh, you know, when melanin is being created and stuff like that. Um, and that's also where you get the whole perception of the sunken place in your subconscious mind and so on and so forth. But we can deal with those things at another time for another day. In conclusion, <laughs> before before I get into uh, reading about good and evil, that is the case here when it concerns uh, finding that balance. That is the case here when it, when you are supposed to be the best version of yourself. You're supposed to be the Haru. So, getting to the basis of this particular uh, book, Packs with the Devil. So in the in the introduction, it quotes Genesis chapter tw uh, chapter three verse twenty through uh, twenty two through twenty four. Um, Genesis chapter three verses twenty two through twenty four. This is on page eleven, and so the script says, "And the Lord said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever." Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he has taken. So he drove out the man and he placed um, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden uh, the cherubims, I believe that's how you say that, cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And so if people aren't familiar with the Adam and Eve story, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. God told Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree. But the snake, who was a representation of your kundalini energy and also a representation of enlightenment, told Eve that the God that you worship, the God that created you, the only reason why he doesn't want you to eat from this tree is because he doesn't want you to be enlightened and to know good and evil like him, to be like him. So Eve ate from the tree and then Eve convinced Adam to eat from the tree and then their eye was opened. This is what we're talking about, the pineal gland. So when your kundalini energy rises up and down and there's there's descriptions of the, the apple, the golden apple, right? The forbidden fruit. Your forbidden fruit, the golden apple, is your pineal gland. And so when your kundalini energy rises up and reaches your pineal gland, that is a representation of you biting into the fruit or the uh, the forbidden fruit or eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now getting to the, the tree of life, that's a whole different conversation for another day because that's when we're dealing with the whole body. But nonetheless, this is a representation of what we're dealing with when it concerns the demiurge. The demiurge does not want you to evolve into godhood. And for people, you know, there's many layers to how you can interpret the Bible. Uh, many layers into the metaphysics of it as well. Because in, in a sense, you can you can deal with it when it concerns you taking action into you being your god self. But when you're dealing with the Gnostic 
aspect of this and you know the lord god convincing adam and eve not to eat from the tree this also can be a representation or a play on your ego so the lord god the lord of hosts who always wants to be praised who always wants to be valued there's no other god before me all this other type of stuff and in a, in a sense this can be this can be a representation of the ego but anyways um skipping on the rest of the stuff we get to uh page 12 lastly you know what let's let's get into uh page 11 this, this aspect here and then we're gonna get there so here um it says the problem of evil is an ancient one it would be simple to invert the meanings of good and evil and let our work rest on the worn out maneuver we will not do this instead like our adversaries we shall assert that the struggle between good and evil is simply a struggle about the role of man in the universe. Is man free or is he property? Man has almost always been property to one degree or another. A piece of property can be used by its owner, sold, leased, or rented. A free man cannot be treated that way unless, of course, he consents. A free man can take his own life. A free man can ingest what he wills and live as he sees fit he can choose to help another or not if he chooses to live with others uh, we assert that he must obey one rule not to initiate violence to get what he wants thus evil if such terms is needed is simply for us the initiation of violence this is of course what the government and the church do to you if you disobey since they have acquired a monopoly on legitimate violence. Thus, though we promise not to invert the classical meanings of good and evil, we uh, inadvertently have. An important, an important quality of evil, as it is commonly understood, is that people are hurt. This fact cannot be helped. To give up being a free man in order not to be hurt is no guarantee that bad things will not happen besides it is the act of a coward every modern government makes a social contract a pact without of course the consent of the populace that it will protect and care for citizens if they give up their right to care for themselves all right let's just uh i'm gonna scroll down so we can get down to what i really want to talk about give me one second okay this is a good point here um in the spiritual realm there are owners keepers and shepherds of men as well as friends the latter include those groups of spirits at least in myth who are relatively friendly towards man and want him to have more power the Promethean myth is but one example of a god force that wants man to be intelligent instead of ignorant. Prometheus' father Zeus, on the other hand, wants to keep man ignorant, a simple slave. Prometheus is a divine rebel, a Satan, if you will, who commits godlike crimes against the patriarchy. This is the critical point that Prometheus, like Satan, is not man's enemy, but is the enemy of the authoritarian tyrant who desire is to rule man now i'm gonna stop right here for a second because i had this conversation a few days ago on my platform on instagram at the omnis y'all can follow me there and 
I was having this conversation about what if the story concerning Satan, you know, isn't what we think it is, right? And somebody made a good point that, you know, when it concerns Satan, you know, what if, you know, Satan rebelled against God for a good reason? Because he was a tyrant, because he was so controlling, maybe he didn't want to be like God, maybe he actually cared for humanity. So he sacrificed himself to uh, be on earth for for man to become enlightened, for man to take control of, of their own life, you know. But because of the Bible, the Bible has demonized that act of, of being a rebel, that act of rebellion, you know. So getting back to the page, um, it says a similar myth is repeated in the Garden of Eden. The serpent, also called Satan, tempts Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and to become godlike. In some quarters, Eve's temptation is seen as an initiation by the serpent, whose number is 358. Coincidentally, this is also the name of the Meshiach, the Messiah. The idea of preventing man from becoming God is nowhere uh, is nowhere better exposed than by the gods themselves when they decided to refuse man access to the tree of life. And we just read uh, what it talks about in Genesis chapter twenty, uh, chapter 3 verse 22 about how man has become like us knowing good and evil and if he was to eat from the tree of life then he will live forever. Alright, so scrolling down to what I really want to talk about uh, there's one particular section here. It's called the problem of good. So it says the problem of evil cannot exist without the problem of good. How can good be a problem? Simply by making it dependent upon the existence of evil. Yes, if good means obedience to religious and political paternalism, and evil means rebellion against these oppressive forces, then to see evil as a problem is to see good as a problem. In more common terms, good for most of us is simply the lack of evil. Evil for most of us is the lack of good. Or is it? Both good and evil are concepts of the human mind. As concepts, they appear opposed to each other, or so it seems. However, to say that good and evil are concepts in no way limits the possibility that we interpret non-human forces operating in the universe as good and evil from our human perspective. But because we label these forces as good and evil doesn't mean that they are in some absolute sense, good or evil. While we prefer to believe in the existence of non-human forces, we have no proof of their existence in the scientific sense. More, we have no proof of these forces are uh, we have no proof that these forces are good or evil or that even our human concepts apply to them. Now let me let me stop here. So whenever you see a certain set of people <laughs> try and say that spirituality and science don't correlate it's because there's something on something going on with them but we actually explained our spirituality through science called alchemy our very mythology and the way that we set up mythology can be expressed and can be analyzed scientifically so we actually talked about our science in our spirituality, in in the uh, sacred texts, and so on and so forth. So, don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> so, so, I just wanted to emphasize that there is a lot of proof in the scientific sense of non-human forces 
um, through our mythology, through alchemy, through science, through spirituality. Anyways, um, to go on furthermore, um, we do have proof of uh, we do have proof of how humans label their own experiences. To conceptualize events and experiences as good or evil is simply a function of what disturbs us and what doesn't. Thus, good and evil are simply a function of pain and pleasure. Yet as concepts, they appear to have an independent status. To understand the world in terms of good and evil is simple. To believe in the independent existence of good or evil in terms of what pleases or displeases us is nonsense. If good and evil exist independently of our understanding of them, we can have no idea about what these terms mean. To generalize our personal experience to the impersonal or the transpersonal plane is the act of either a genius or a fool. If everything were easy, if we obtained everything we wanted, then we could easily believe in the goodness of the universe. If we are frustrated or hurt, we might believe that the universe is evil. Both feelings appear to be necessary and both are lies. The issue is simple. Good and evil are human inventions which humans treat as non-human realities. Thus, there is a confusion about the hierarchy of the concept. It is similar to the concept of positing an unknowable, uh, an unknowable world beyond reason and then later acting as if it really existed. When good and evil are attrib uh, attributed to other worldliness, which by definition can by cannot be known, we, we simply humanize the spiritual world. To use terms which we have assigned to the other world and then act as if these terms didn't originate from the world we do know is one of our greatest errors. If there is another world, we can only know how it affects our particular nervous system. We can't know if the effects of another world are good or evil except through our lenses. There is another world it can only be known through our methods of knowing. Or if there is another world, it can only be known through our methods of knowing. It can't be known by us for what it is through our methods of knowing. To speak of gods and devils and demons as good or evil is simply a statement of our reaction to what we believe their expressions or existences are for us. And that's that. <laughs> Now there's a whole nother concept or there's a no there's a whole nother uh I guess you could call it a chapter um where it talks about the problem of evil. But I do not want to prolong this whole live stream. Well, you know what? It's my podcast, right? It's my podcast. We can do it. <laughs> we can do it. Um uh, but I, I wanna stop right here before before I get on even any further. But they, they clearly make it known here that our perception of good and evil is in our mind. And a lot of us can't conceive that because we have identified the, the things that make us suffer, the things that make us hurt, the things that make us feel negative as evil, and the things that make us feel good, the things that are more aligned and organized as good. And so we have identified order with good and chaos with evil. But one cannot work without the other. So if one cannot work without the other, we cannot say that chaos is inherently evil and that good is, is, is or order is inherently good. We can't do that. 
it would be disingenuous to label the divine masculine as good and the and the divine feminine as evil in the sense of of casting it away and rebuking it and abstaining from it and that's what you see in christianity where they literally kicked out the mother goddess and put a ghost there and i was having a conversation with my friend about this conversation or about this this topic concerning the divine mother and it's is disingenuous and it's disrespectful to kick out the mother and to make her unrecognizable by calling her the Holy Ghost. It's disingenuous. If you're going to have the same respect for the for the God Father, the Father God, and you're going to have the same respect for the God Son or the, or the Son God, you have to have the same amount of respect for the Mother Goddess. You have to have the same amount of respect. And, and, and Jesus even talks about that in one of the Gnostic Gospels. And if I can pull it up real quick, I can read it. Because I just posted this a couple of days ago concerning the whole basis of talking about the Divine Mother Goddess. And how you cannot have one without the other. You can't uplift the Father and then suppress the Mother. And you can't do the same thing and vice versa. So yeah, in, in the book of, uh, it's called the Gospel of the Holy Twelve, and this I think this is in chapter 63, and so uh, Jesus says here that likewise in every man is perfected, there are three persons, that of the son, that of the spouse, and that of the father, these three are one. So in every woman who is perfected, there are three persons, that of the, of the daughter, that of the bride, and that of the mother. These three are one. And the man and woman are one, even as God is one. Thus it is with God the father mother, in whom is neither man or female, male or female, and in whom are both. And each is threefold, and all are one in the hitting unity. So Jesus makes it very known in the gospel of the Holy Twelve that the Father God, the one that we call God, is neither male or female, but are both in one. And we are exact replicants of that divine masculine and divine feminine energy. Tells you even in the in the Bible, even aside from the, the, the Gnostics, that God made them male and female, and that which God has put together, let no man separate. So there you have it. But getting to the basis back on topic with good and evil. Let's read this particular chapter. The problem of evil. The problem of suffering. So it says to be confused by suffering is to be confused by life. Those who are confused by suffering require a meaning independent of their existence. Suffering is human. The body is soft. The world is hard. To invent explanations about suffering is simply um, a narcotic Oh, no, it's simply a narcotic. <laughs> uh, each explanation assumes something about the nature of life. It presupposes an ought to, which is simply I want. To assume that the world was or can be idyllic is to wish for slavery. To say no to suffering, to uh, improve your life, is simply a desire. It is not a given. In fact... The Garden of Eden, uh, the Garden of Eden story indicates man suffering over not suffering. 
to want to know, to be curious, is the nature of man to want to control, to want to know, to immor uh, to want immortality on his own terms, to create stories. That is all within the nature of man. Curiosity is the curse of man because, according to the Garden of Eden story, curiosity and willfulness finally brings expulsion, expul expulsion, excuse me, <laughs> um, from parrot from paradise. To be curious is to disobey. Curiosity is the fundamental characteristics of all newborns. Yet, for whatever reason, curiosity is also associated with danger and with evil. Do you ever notice that humans become less and less curious as they become older? The reason is not simply age. The will to do curiosity or the, the will to curiosity has been beaten out of them. It is better to follow the path of the tried and true. In this sentence, the world better means safer. To try to explain suffering as purposeful and otherworldly is a sign of a weak stomach. And it, uh, in an overactive brain, suffering is motivation to put an end to it for a while. Without struggle, man is no longer man. To live in the Garden of Eden, Eden is simply a death wish, which, if ever achieved, would put an end to the species known as man. Curiosity and rebellion are the basis of being human, yet we are taught to disobey, or yet we are taught to obey. We are taught that the world is is a correct way to live ordained in another world and enforced in this one many men make an issue out of the suffering insurance policies are inventions of those who know how much humans desire to control suffering but to be without the potential for suffering is to be without life so in this one we clearly see that what we define as good and evil for the most part is just based upon how we feel it's based upon what makes us feel good and what makes us feel bad or even in, in most cases what makes us feel deviant <laughs> and so, so you you as being a human for you to live in this life and on this journey you're always going to have your trials and tribulations and some of us define these trials and tribulations as evil or the devil working today um, or, or the devil is a liar and all this little type of stuff, right? And whenever something good happens in our life, we want to give praise to God. I just thank God. God always looking out for me. And some of us haven't done the proper work to understand and realize that we are responsible for our blessings and curses. And that when it concerns us, when, when something strikes in our life and when something's in our way, that we are responsible for how we respond to it and we are to find a solution to those problems. But a lot of us, have been raised and taught to give our praises to God and give our worries and our problems to God. And what's what's just sad is that there is no God. <laughs> so they they're just talking just to talk in a sense, you know. But to to just sum up what we see here in the problem with good and in the problem with evil is that what we define as good and evil is based upon how we perceive it. You know, and who's to say that the that the things that we call good and evil are truly good and evil. And and this is that's what you should question. That's what that's what you should ask yourself. What is good and what is evil? You know, and when it concerns good and evil, living a particular lifestyle, you know, what does that bring into your life? You know, some people they want to be 
um, into the sexual stuff. They some of these women want to live out their life as that femme fatale, <laughs> you know, just just living their hot girl city girl life. But because of Christianity or because of the church, it has it has made them feel shameful for even wanting to feel that way or having that desire. Even when it concerns being sexual with yourself, I just posted a video um, or I had a snippet in one of my YouTube videos of this this girl who was arguing with her mother and told her to leave her room because she's trying to get it on with herself. <laughs> and the the mother is over here like the devil done got you and all those type of stuff. And but see, to say that to your child and to continue to rant and complain and argue and all that type of stuff is not going to do any good. It's going to make her rebel. And it's like when we're dealing with the sacred whore, you know, when I talk about tapping into that whore, that heather energy. And for the people who are who are newcomers, they haven't tapped into that energy yet they they don't know what it is they don't have to define it they don't really know what it means to access that type of energy when i first brought it up back in 2020 people thought i was crazy and bringing it up again and and reforming it in 2022 people are still thinking that i'm crazy to talk about stuff they're they're still correlating what you see with the city girls and megan the stallion and, and all these other type of people and they're correlating their behavior or talking about how they don't need a man all this type of stuff to being the sacred whore the sacred harlot and i don't think people understand the the true position of the sacred harlot that well first of all let's let's also understand like what we're talking about good and evil like we just talked about it's it's all perception so what these individuals like chloe bailey and megan the stallion what these women are doing is that they're portraying our science to us they're portraying those archetypes those goddess archetypes to us so in a sense what they're doing isn't bad even though they, they might you know you know how the industry is how, how these these jewish people work they're gonna put in a little little something here and there to try and, and distract the masses or try and brainwash the masses the, the masses they might you know narrate it or cover it up in something to where it is is you know degenerate <laughs> but nonetheless these women are portraying a certain type of energy. Beyonce just came out with her new album, Renaissance. She's portraying this Lilith energy. And so all of this plays a hand in these goddess archetypes, in this, this energy that they're portraying to us. And, and women can tap into this energy. They can utilize the energy that is being uh, portrayed or, or put into these songs and use it and utilize it to bring out that energy or that goddess figure within them as well. It's possible. I'm not saying for you to get hooked on to a Megan the Stallion or City Girl, but there's there's energy that's being put out in these songs. There's something that's being put in these songs that that women can use as substance. You know, don't get so held bound to the messenger, get held bound to the message. And so even even to go back on this, you know, even when talking about the sacred whore. You know, the sacred whore is not to give you a pass to be a reckless hoe or to be a prostitute. If you even go back into the erotic, you know, the erotic poems or talking about sexuality in ancient times. These guys and goddesses weren't just having intercourse with anybody. They were having intercourse with gods and goddesses. So for you, if you want to tap into the whore archetype, the, the harlot, the sacred harlot to be the incubus or the succubus. You are supposed to be 
initiating individuals into a certain type of level of consciousness through your genitalia, through your body, through your vessel. You know what I'm saying? This is when, and when it comes to the women, you're supposed to have a baptism, a, a praise and worship session with your consorts, with, with your devotees, <laughs> with your, your roster, with the men that you choose to entertain and, and have sex with. That you, you shouldn't just let anybody up inside you. You know, the, these, you're, you're a goddess, you're, you're, your temple, your body is sacred. It's a sacred vessel. You know, so you should treat it as such. You shouldn't just let anybody walk into your temple. <laughs> you know, they have to be worthy to walk into your temple. And so, you know, when it comes, when it concerns women with, you know, even when it concerns the body count, I don't care about the body count. I said this in one of my earlier, like very early podcast episodes. Like, I don't care about a woman's body count. I think the, the title even concerns talking about women's body count. I'd rather have, I'd rather be with a woman that have had uh, a body count of 10 guys, right? She could have had uh, uh, all type of stuff going on with, with like 10 different guys throughout different phases of her life. 10, 10 guys, right? 10 kings, 10 warriors, aside from somebody who got knocked up and passed around by six trashy dudes, by, by six fuck niggas, like... <laughs> I, I see it in, in, in that aspect, you know. So you got to look at it in, in these particular aspect, uh, aspects. You know, everything is perception, you know. So when it concerns good and evil, good and evil is just however you define it to be. You know, it's like in the, the vampire movie with Eddie uh, Eddie Murphy, you know. He was like, evil is good. <laughs> evil is good. And he was talking about how, how sex is, is good. Evil is good. Sex is good. Uh, and if you get you a piece of evil ass, uh, ass is good. Evil is good. If you get you a piece of evil ass, whoo! Because <laughs> he was like, how you think you got here? If it wasn't for sex, you wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for ass, you wouldn't be here. All that plays a hand. And it's, it's so interesting that of all the things in the world that, that is demonized and considered evil is sex. To be a sexual being, to be a sexual person is evil, you know. But, you know, a lot of people just haven't dug that well that far deep. And like I said before, before we head out, research, please, <laughs> by all means, do your research. Do not take everything that I have to say concerning this topic at hand. Do your research, please. All right, but that's all the time that I have for today. Until next time, I'm Tyrone. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you thought that this was very helpful, let me know in the comments or, or in the poll below how you personally feel about this topic at hand. Um, again, the book I was reading um, throughout this whole podcast episode is called The Packs with the Devil. All right. So until next time, I'm Tyrone. Make sure you follow me on all social media platforms at The Omnius Roan. Twitter, social media, um, like Instagram, YouTube, all that other good stuff. And if you want to study more into the occult knowledge and information from my perspective, I have a lot of videos concerning um, a lot of metaphysical topics. So become a member because I have a lot of videos for exclusive members on YouTube. And if you don't see the, the join button to be a member on my platform when you first get onto it, um, you can either DM me and I can give you the link or you can look under one of my videos and it should have a link of uh, joining to become a member. All right. And it doesn't cost that much. 
it's, it's between like two to three dollars a month uh, to become a member to access this type of information, you know, because, you know, it's appreciated, you know, the, the type of effort that I put in to, you know, get type of these, these type of information and to, to find the books and all this type of stuff. So anyways, um, make sure you share this podcast, like I said, with other people until next time. I'm Tyrone and I am out.